Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Um, I'm really, really pleased to start the show tonight because we're recording this and doing it live on Good Friday, which is the day when we honor the most famous innocent brown-skinned man to ever get the death penalty. We here in the U.S. have a unique distinction. We are the only nation in the Western Hemisphere that sentences its own citizens to death. That's us, and only us. And Good Friday is the day when pro-death penalty Christians mark the execution of anti-death penalty Jesus, and it's all irony Now, there was a recent Amnesty International report, some of y'all might have read, about global trends in the death penalty. It came out last week, and a lot of the statistics aren't all that surprising. The greatest number of state executions took place in countries like Iran and Saudi Arabia and Vietnam, China and Iraq. And that's not too much of a surprise, I know, but um, it's amazing to see how unjust our judicial system still remains. For the 10th consecutive year, the USA is still the only country to carry out executions in the region of North and South America. And I say this because earlier today, um, the South Carolina Department of Corrections, and we love South Carolina, it's a beautiful state, our producer is living there right now, Um, the South Carolina Department of Corrections just released a photograph that shows their brand new renovated capital punishment facility, as seen from the witness room. There's a firing squad chair on the left, and then there's a covered chair. That's the electric chair, which doesn't move. So if you're actually being executed and murdered by the state via the electric chair, the firing squad chair is behind you. But if you've opted for the firing squad chair, just so you know, you'll have a view of the electric chair. So as the bullets enter your body and the state murders you because we kill people who kill people to prove that killing people is wrong, you'll have a view of a much more unpleasant way to die. And South Carolina courts gave a man named Richard Moore eight days to decide exactly how he wants to go. And today he made his choice. Mr. Moore has been on South Carolina's death row for 21 years. He is scheduled to be murdered by the government on the 29th of April. Now, by state law, uh, this gentleman, who is 57 years old, he's from Spartanburg, uh, he has to determine which execution method will be responsible for murdering him. Either the 110-year-old state electric chair or... The three-man firing squad. And guess what? Good news. 
it's all volunteer for some of you Christians. Now, Mr. Moore picked the newest option offered by the state, the firing squad, because lethal injections are not an option anymore. He gave a written statement. He said he did not believe or concede that either method of execution was legal or constitutional. And uh, he's right, because there is a prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment. And both of these things are cruel and unusual. In his statement, he said he settled on death by three guys with guns, paid for by your taxes, because he more strongly opposes death by electrocution. I want to just point out, South Carolina published this photo today on Good Friday, the anniversary of the most famous execution in history or literature, depending on what you believe. Um, And they put out that Mr. Moore made his choice today. He's South Carolina's first state prisoner to face a choice like this after the state law took effect last year that makes electrocution the default method of murdering people by the government, and it gives the inmates the option to choose whether they want to be murdered by three volunteers with guns or a 110-year-old election electric chair. Uh, they used to have lethal injection, but they can't get the drugs anymore because the company in Europe that made the drugs decided, hey, this is fucked up and amoral, and we're not playing ball anymore. Now, uh, Mr. Moore is uh, going to be murdered for a murder he committed in 1999 in a convenience store robbery. He was a cocaine addict. He was robbing it to get money for coke, and he murdered a person. Uh, no one's claiming he's innocent. I'm not claiming he's innocent. I just happen to be against the death penalty for everyone, even guilty people, because I was raised uh, in a certain religion um, named after a guy who was executed by the state on this day, Good Friday. During the 2001 trial, uh, the prosecutor in South Carolina was a young prosecutor named Trey Gowdy, and he went for the death penalty. He won it. And this is all announced on Good Friday the day that the most famous anti-death penalty figure in history or literature or mythology or divinity, whatever you believe, Jesus of Nazareth. And by the way, Jesus was completely anti-death penalty. I'm going to say that again because a lot of y'all have conservative Christian loved ones who will strongly dispute this. Jesus never mentioned abortion. The Bible is not against abortion, but Jesus came out time and time again against killing the sinner. Um, John eight eight John uh, uh, chapter eight verse one was where they brought the adulteress to him. They had her dead to rights, and under the Jewish law, they could stone her to death. And Jesus stopped an execution. He said, "Let any of you who is without sin throw the first stone." Uh, in Matthew six twelve, he said, "Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us." He didn't say, "Forgive us our trespasses, as we lethally inject those who trespass against us." Now again. I'm not saying you have to believe in Jesus as a literal thing at all. What I'm saying is, if you claim to follow Jesus, but you are into executing sinners, you don't fucking follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Chris Rock could tell you about that one. Uh, Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus was not big on retribution. He was not big on revenge. I'll go a little further, because again, you can't be a Christian and support the death penalty. It's really, really simple. Matthew 7, 
So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Matthew chapter 9, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know what? Jesus overturns eye for an eye in Sermon on the Mount. And yet, the great irony of this country is that you can't be president unless you're a follower of Jesus who also believes in killing the sinner. And literally, there's nothing more anti-Jesus then having the state murder sinners. And by the way, my libertarian friends, when you strap a guy to a chair or a, or a table and the state has the power to inject him with poison or electrocute him or fill him with bullets until he's dead, it doesn't get more big government than that. And by the way, let's add Genesis chapter 4 where uh, God gives a pardon to the first ever murderer, Cain. Let's even go to Paul. Normally, when these fake Christians are talking about Christianity, they quote Paul instead of Jesus. Jesus was the big liberal superstar, and Paul was his much more conservative PR guy. Romans 12, uh, Paul says, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. I don't mean to be talking tabernacles at you too much, but it is Good Friday. This is the big death penalty day, and you can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. You don't need to believe in any of this as literal fact to get what I'm going here. The official Catholic Church teaching on the death penalty? Let me quote the Vatican. In the light of the gospel, that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person, and she works with determination for its abolition worldwide. Say what you want about the Vatican, and I will criticize them all day for their many sins, but there is no greater institution in the world that opposes executions. Now, it's been a rough time for justice in our country for quite a while. Civil rights and voting rights are both under attack even as we speak. Women's reproductive rights, which are not banned by the Bible. The Bible is not against abortion. It's under attack in many, many states. Marginalized groups from refugees to transgender children are at risk from so-called Christians. And my dream for Easter is of an ethical, moral society where atheists and ethical, moral believers are finding more and more common ground. Because ethical, moral atheists and ethical, moral Christians and believers have more in common than they do with fundamentalist Christians. I'm a big fan of taking the Bible and asking, why can't we read this book as parable and metaphor when the main character speaks in parable and metaphor? You know, there, there's not a lot of facts in the Bible, but there is a lot of truth. And Good Friday and Easter is a time, no matter what you believe or don't believe, to remember. <sighs> Easter has always reminded me of what I witnessed as a young person during the AIDS crisis. When gay Americans stopped waiting for the government to come help them during a plague. When 20,000 Americans had to die horribly, painfully, before... President Reagan would even say the name of the disease that was killing them. When I remember having a front row seat at the struggle for dignity and justice that was waged by LGBT Americans and by their straight allies. That's why I believe in the American dream, because of what I saw then. But Easter and Good Friday always remind me of AIDS and what happened and all the suffering we saw. And what happened from all the suffering of the AIDS crisis? Well, the swiftest advancement of civil rights for a minority group in the history of the planet. We went from 20,000 people dying before Reagan would say the name to a sitting president endorsing marriage equality 
during his re-election campaign in one generation. And it didn't happen because of magic. It happened because of people, and it happened because of love. And it happened because people stopped waiting for the government to lead. Government's never going to lead. The people have to lead and demand more from their leaders and scare their leaders into showing up. And right-wing fascists have figured this out. That's why the Republican Party is no longer a conservative party with a fascist wing. It's a fascist party with a conservative wing. Look at the cross. Look at the cross that is so abused by these revoltingly fake Christians and fundamentalists with their double-talk and jive and homophobic bullshit. Just look at the cross and look at the man that is nailed to it. Whatever you believe, this naked, bleeding, ridiculed loser, the lowest of the low, the guy on that cross, regardless of what you believe, I'm just going by what's in the story. Stay with me, atheists. The guy on that cross is rejected by everyone. He was set up by the conservative religious bosses. He was sold out by his friend. He was condemned by the government. He had the shit beaten out of him by the cops. He was denied by his own crew. His own friends lied that they didn't know him. He was forsaken. He was hopeless. He was defeated. And I think about that this weekend when I look at all we're up against. And when I look at the American press writing obituaries for a Democratic Congress and letting these mean, racist, anti-democratic, regressive fascists bring more trickle-down, put more women in jail, let more yahoos sue people because of abortions. I look at that guy on the cross, regardless of what you believe. I'm talking metaphor here. Again, that's where the truth is. I'm not talking about facts. The suffering is part of the death and rebirth that we celebrate every spring. The death and rebirth we witness throughout our lives, throughout our politics, throughout all of the civil rights struggles in our human history and all the struggles for justice in our history. The darkness that comes from knowing that the fascists are winning, the fascists are beating the shit out of us, and good people are scared or good people just check out. Except in this story, this Easter thing that people are celebrating this weekend, whether you believe in it as history, as literature, as myth, divinity, The darkest moment is not the end of the story. Easter is a story of suffering, of failure, of torture, of the most humiliating kind of death you can have, and rebirth as well. With forgiveness. Because you will lose battles. You will be knocked down. It's a story about getting up again. And when you rise again, You don't have hatred for the ones who knocked you down because you are here to fight for them too. And the progressives in this country are the ones who are fighting for the people who hate them. Fighting for these right-wing people to not get shot because some jackass was easily able to get an AR-15. Fighting for the right-wing people to not go bankrupt due to the fact they can't pay health care costs. Fighting for their kids to not be buried under decades of student loan debt. It's rebirth after suffering And it's coming back better and stronger and with forgiveness. And remember uh, something else. If there was no death penalty, Jesus might still be here. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. 
So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Right now, I am so happy to welcome one of my favorite thinkers, one of my favorite moral humans in America. John Nichols is the national affairs correspondent for The Nation, uh, a contributing writer for The Progressive and In These Times, and he's the associate editor of Madison, Wisconsin's Capital Times, which makes a great online read. He's written a lot of great books, including the deeply important and ever-relevant newest book of his, uh, Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers, Accountability for Those Who Caused the Crisis. My God, this book is ferocious, and it just tears apart all the powerful motherfuckers who are still profiting from suffering around the globe during this pandemic. His writing is urgent and compassionate, and I wish he would run for office. John Nichols, welcome back to SiriusXM. Well, you're the one who wishes I would run for office. <laughs> Deeply, I really, really do. Uh, it's good. Hey, to I'm see glad you. we're starting out honoring uh, Dave Edmonds, though, who's a total, yeah, totally cool character. Really cool. And, uh, and and was it was it Rockville? What's the name of the? There was a a cottage in Wales that he recorded that song at, and they said it had a that that he got a certain sound out of that cottage. Rock that, pile. That's I right. Think. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, listen, I know that you're celebrating J.D. Vance getting the coveted endorsement <laughs> of uh, Donald Trump. Right now, Josh Mandel is having a tantrum in his uh, in his pack and play. But uh, in the open U.S. Senate seat in Ohio, these Republicans who are tearing each other apart, um, there's been a lot of predicting about who's going to get the endorsement and uh, how powerful Trump's endorsement still is. But I- I'm sorry, I predicted Trump would go for the most celebrity of all of them, and that's what he did. You have written a great piece in the nation about the author of Hillbilly Elegy and um, how profoundly ignorant he is about how elections work in France. Were you surprised that J.D. Vance got uh, the endorsement of the former host of Celebrity Apprentice? No, I was not surprised. Um, they both write kind of lousy books. Um, uh, and, well, at least, and, at least know, Vance writes his own. At least Vance has read the books he puts out. Yeah, that's true. And, and, I, and I do think that that's credit to him. And, you know, I wanted to like Hillbilly Elegy. You know, I, yeah. I, I was on a panel at the University of Colorado and it, Hillbilly Elegy was this hot book at the moment. And so they had five people discussing it. And I was one of the five. And so I actually, you know, I read the book and, and I was like, and I was like, this is one of the most inaccurate portrayals of rural America I have ever read. I grew up in a town of, you know, I was born in a town of 970, right? I grew up in small towns and this is, this bears no resemblance to it. And then I found out he wasn't from rural America. 
Okay. So he actually grew up in a, you know, a small city. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I've always had a, a kind of a gripe about J.D. Vance. I think he's, he's sort of, uh, he's somebody who kind of remakes himself for the moment so he can make money in it. Oh, yeah. And, that's what the book was all and, about. Well, that's what the book was about. But it was also, remember, he was a never Trumper. Right? right. So he had to delete all of his never Trump tweets. Right. Oh, now, yeah. And really, when you think about it, of the people who have gotten a Trump endorsement, there's probably no one who's come this far. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, to the extent that that Trump, if Trump endorsed Lindsey Graham, you know, in 2020, which I'm not sure he actually got around to doing it. But um, bottom line is that J.D. Bance, uh has staked out a territory in this uh, primary in Ohio that is to the right of the European nationalists. Like he's a little right. bit to the right of Viktor Orban. Yeah. And and I think that's what Trump likes. I think there actually is an ideological. I know it's a celebrity thing. You're right about the celebrity thing. But I also think there's a that he sort of likes Vance's brand of crazy. Well, I mean, you know, as as Norm Ornstein put it, J.D. Vance is a loathsome, radical, racist, insurrectionist lickspittle to Trump. Um, he has called Donald Trump an idiot. He called him yep. noxious and he called him reprehensible. And I've never seen Trump give um, a more gritted teeth endorsement than he gave him. I mean, he, he went out of his way to say how great all the other Republicans were before completely smearing all the Republicans later on. But he more uh -huh. or less said, well, he, he used to be wrong uh, and attack me, but now he loves me and kisses my gigantic spray tan behind, so I'm going to endorse him now. And, you know, J.D. Vance has proven himself to be um, just scrupulous grifter and has groveled before Donald Trump, a man he once called out. Well, he came to the light, you see, John. You didn't understand that. He was, he's, been, he's been converted and... and that's obviously what Trump really values, because I, I and I, I don't underestimate this. I think Donald Trump really likes the grovelers. I think oh, that, of course, that gives him an immense amount of pleasure, much more yes. than somebody who actually agrees with him. Right. It's so easy to manipulate. We saw it with Kim Jong Un. Flatter the guy and he'll give you the keys to his house. Yep. And so this is the interesting thing with Vance, because Vance uh, has he's proven to be a lousy candidate. Right. He's, he's yeah. not good at it. He's running against people who actually have been elected, like Josh Mandel and also people who've run the party in, in Ohio and stuff. So this is this is a very interesting gambit by Trump because he's taken a guy who is lower in the polls and he's going to you know, he's going to see can the Trump magic pull this guy up? Can it bring him up to a, yeah. a winning point? If it works, if it works, um, then, you know, you're going to see. All the people who always say, oh, Trump's fading and stuff like that, which I don't believe, by the way, um, all the people who do that, are going to have to rewrite their scripts because suddenly Trump will be the hot commodity. Um, nice. And this is Ohio and Georgia are the two. If he beats Brian Kemp and if he elects uh, J.D. Vance, he owns the party. I mean, I'm not I don't think he doesn't own the party anyway, but, right. you know, he will have the full claim. And so I do think that's one of their element of this. He's kind of rolling his dice on the trying to get, trying to actually elect someone. And he knows because they all flew down to Mar-a-Lago to beg for his endorsement. All he knows problems. that if, if, if J.D. Vance loses, that whoever it is nominated is going to totally forgive him the next day because they want the Trump endorsement for the fall. Indeed. And so, again, this is after Trump endorses Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker, because <laughs> celebrity is Trump's ethnic group. And, um, and, and you know, the and, weird... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, please. I want to please. Well, the weird thing about it is 
that in each of these cases, he's endorsing the weaker candidate. Well, yeah, I was going to say Vance has never led the GOP field in a single poll. Nope. And and this is an interesting thing. J.D. Vance is exactly the kind of candidate that Tim Ryan, the likely Democratic nominee in Ohio, could shred. Right. I think so, too, because some of these other people who are running, whether you like them or not, they've actually created jobs in Ohio. They've actually you know, they've got some tie to the state. Right. Right. J.D. Vance was living in San Francisco. He's like Peter Thiel's assistant. Right. Exactly. You know, he's like the like the you know intern for Peter Thiel's billionaire party. And um, and so I think that Vance is a very vulnerable November nominee. And so, frankly, as, as always, the Democratic Party should probably be thanking Donald Trump. Well, you know, it's interesting. You wrote a great piece about J.D. Vance and the election in France, and our media covered it a little bit, but you wrote some wonderful, very informative stuff for the nation about it. Um, Vance came around and said uh, on Sunday night, um, while they were counting the elections from the first wave of votes, he said, I have a buddy in France, and they just had an election there. Polls closed a few hours ago, and they already know who the winners are. Must be nice to live in a first-world country. It would take all night, John, to unpack how stupid this statement was, but France is a multi-party democracy with runoff elections. Um, what does J.D. Vance, and by extension, what can all of us learn about how they're doing it in France? And is his friend uh, Marie Le Pen? That's That was my, my great question. <laughs> because first off, there was a lot of questioning of this tweet. Uh, it got an immense amount of commentary uh, because there were many people who challenged the notion that J.D. Vance has a friend. <laughs> And um, but then when, you know, if you accept that, OK, well, maybe maybe he travels in a circle, you know, the, you know, uh, the den of thieves uh, that that maybe it is Marine Le Pen, except here's the interesting thing. He's so far to the right of Marine Le Pen that I don't think she'd want to associate with him. He yeah. would get kicked out of her party. Right. No, he'd that, be a hill, he would be the hillbilly to her. And she's a fascist. Right. Well, there's a guy to the right. There was a guy running to the right a guy named Zamor. Uh, who was even, you know, it made Le Pen look like a, a gentle, you know, friendly moderate. And and so I, I think that that's first and foremost that that Vance is kind of he like Trump, he sort of embraced the European nationalists and then supercharged it with extra added racism and xenophobia, which is sort of amazing because I didn't know you could go beyond that. But, you know, the French, this is the interesting thing about the French thing. J.D. Vance was all excited because they called the two winners of the initial run or initial round of voting, but the, he was. At, I looked at the timestamp on his on his tweet. That was when they were still going off exit polls. So he was all excited that an election got called off exit polls. And I, you know, I got news for JD Vance. We actually do that in America. Yeah. Um, so you know, the, his whole notion that somehow France is a first world country as opposed to the U.S. Um, but here's where it gets really interesting. France does have a better system. It has a system where they have an initial round of voting, two candidates come out of it, then they have a runoff election, but they never, ever let anyone become president of France if you don't get the most votes. Thank you. And so the thing is, I'm interested in whether J.D. Vance really likes this system. If he does, then, you know, does he think that uh, Al Gore should have become president in 2000? Does he think Hillary Clinton should have become president in 2016? I mean, is That's he in favor out the of elections I mean, where the person who we, gets the most votes becomes president? If we had a real democracy, you point this out. If we had a democracy like France without this electoral college, this 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 slave owning relic 
it's really likely that Al Gore would have gone to the White House and that Hillary Clinton would have as well, since they were, in fact, the choice of the American people. Yeah, they were in the the initial round, they would have come out ahead. And in a runoff, given the choice, remember, if you had the choice between Al Gore and George W. Bush without, you know, other options there, including Ralph Nader and some others, um, I think that the votes would have coalesced around Gore. I don't think there's much debate about that. And in 2016, I don't think there's any question at all. You know, Hillary Clinton beat Trump by three million votes. Uh, And she was clearly the the preferred candidate. If you'd had, you know, a a runoff election, I don't think there's any doubt that she would have done it. So it seems like J.D. Vance in his, you know, looking for a way to make a snarky comment about America. This, by the way, a guy running for the U.S. Senate, right? He said U.S. is not a first world country. But it, it is rushed to make a, a snarky comment. He actually kind of opens up this, this reality. And this is a well-educated man. He's not an idiot. But he is so um, desperate to say something that he thinks will appeal to his base or to the base yeah. that uh, he actually got himself into a very weird place where, he, you know, he seems to be the only Republican making an honest critique of the Electoral College. Although I don't think it's an honest critique, and I don't think he, he necessarily knows he's doing it. I mean, I, I got to tell you, your piece made me really agree with J.D. Vance. I wish we had a system like France, some multi-party oh, democracy with, yeah. with, with you know, runoff voting. In the first round of voting, all views are heard uh, in a very broad spectrum. They have real debates, and you can't fill it up with money like Peter Thiel did to stake Vance's whole candidacy in Ohio. Yeah. In fact, in France... They have very strict campaign limits. They have strict donation limits. They don't want, you know, and you know why? It's a crazy thing. They limit donations and, and how much money you can give in that because they don't want candidates to be bought by someone or influenced yeah. by someone. They actually think that, and so the government puts the money for, you know, you, and you get your money, the amount of money based on how well you do. So mm. you run your campaign. If you run it and you do well, you get you get the government basically pays for your campaign. If you don't do well, then you end up in debt and you're out of politics. And it's kind of a it's a actually remarkably functional system. And then here's the other interesting thing about it. And I think you'll appreciate this. They uh, they have debates. All the candidates participate. They also have a situation where on the elections on Sunday. So on the Friday at midnight on the Friday before, everyone has to stop campaigning. It is against the law. No ads, no TV appearances, nothing, because they, and a crazy concept, think that people should take a day to reflect on who they might want to vote for without all of being beaten over the head with campaign ads what? and posters. Weakness. Weakness, I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think, I mean, they actually, you know, France went through a lot, right? They, World War I, World War II, uh, you know, a lot of reorganization. And they actually did something that we haven't done. They kind of thought about how you might want to have a small D democratic election that might produce a president who was the choice of the majority of people. Um, I've tweeted John's great article, What J. Dave Vance Doesn't Know About France. I recommend all fans of Real Democracy to read it. In, in our final moments, Mr. Nichols, because I've got you, uh, I just want to ask you how you feel about plucky little David uh, versus Goliath Elon Musk did this week. When, when Twitter well, rejected you know, him like every woman rejected him before he became a billionaire. Yeah, bi- billionaire status can help in a lot of things. And uh, well, first off, I don't believe there should be billionaires. Yeah, I think every billionaire is a policy failure. Yeah. And so as a result, 
Um, I believe that the best answer to the Elon Musk threat, and then we should talk about it a little more deeply because there's a serious element to it, but I'd be the best answer to it would be to tax him down to the, the level of, you know, dollar below billionaire. And he'd still be incredibly rich. He could, you know, do pretty much whatever he wants. Except so after maybe. the first billion, after the first billion, you tax them 99%. Yeah, just take it. Yeah. 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 Right? Take them down. You can so you can actually you can be a 999 999 999 million. You can get a three bedroom apartment for 999 million. You can get a decent apartment and a parking space for 999 million. Yeah. I have that on good authority. And, yeah. And you know if you if you scrimp, you could even maybe fly into space once or twice. Well, yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah. If that's your passion, but you can't just do it casually. And um but the, if we accept that we do live in a world of billionaires who have an extra 49 or 43 billion sitting around, like in cash, because that's what yeah. he's saying. He's saying, uh, you know, I got I'll, I'll buy Twitter because I got 43 billion sitting over here. Just a sec. Let me look. Oh, yeah, I, I got it. Here you go. Um, so first off, he's got too much money. Second, yeah. it's a real threat. And it's a very serious issue because, you know, we should not live in a society where our platforms by which we communicate, because this is a, this is a new world. It's a digital world, and um, I think some people think of of Twitter as media. It's not. It's really a utility, right? It's something that every a lot of people rely on, an immense number of people rely on. They use it to communicate, and um, if you're going to let that utility be purchased by a billionaire who says, "I'm going to take it private." And I'm going to run it the way I want it to be run, right? And then bring Donald Trump back, do all these other things, get rid of some of the, the monitoring. Then what you're really doing is creating, you know, a, a kind of a new situation that, as bad as big tech is, and there's a lot to criticize there. This is a circumstance where we're going to say, as a society, yeah, we're going to allow our platforms by which we communicate to be owned by one guy who's got a lot of gripes who's yeah. actually not a happy person. Yeah. And that's scary. John Nichols, uh, there's never enough time. Please come back and see us again soon, and we can beat up on Jared Kushner together, please. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work, sir? Um, they can come to the nation's website, www.thenation.com. They can follow me on Twitter until the uh, uh, purchase occurs uh, yeah. at Nichols Uprising. And, uh, and I'm delighted to... Always come back anytime, John, because I love your show and it's you, it's John. as deep and smart as I would ask. I've been looking forward to this all week, and I hope to see you uh, in person or on a cruise ship again very soon. Thank you so uh, so much for there, but for the COVID, there, but for the COVID, <laughs> I know we'll be together uh, soon. I just kicked it this week. Thank you, John Nichols. I know. Quick Thank, I, by the way, yeah, so glad you're you're looking great and healthy. That makes me very happy. I appreciate it, John. Have a great weekend. Happy Easter to your family. We'll be right back with your calls on progress. Let's go back to the phones. Thank you guys so much for your patience and waiting on hold. Um, Rob in West Virginia, you're on Sirius. Hi, I wanted to talk to you. Um, you quoted the Bible earlier in the New Testament with regards to uh, not allowing the state to murder people um, under the justice system, which, as far as I can see, you were factually correct. However, you did say that in 
Jesus' words and within the New Testament. So my question to you is this. Um, Would you agree that the Catholic Church is the most consistent on their doctrine with regards to human life? Yes or no? Um, Regards to human life, uh, I will say in terms of the death penalty, they really have been, sure. Okay, but uh, a fetus or or a, a baby that is born that is developing in a woman's body. Wait, what are we are we talking about? A fetus or a baby that's born? Which one do you mean? No, uh, a a, ba- a baby that is born inside of a mother's womb that develops the, over nine months. The baby is born okay. when he comes outside of the mother's mother's womb. But go ahead. Okay, so all right, so we're we're not in agreement that abortion is taking human life. Is that correct? Oh no, I didn't say that. Um, I'm saying oh, okay, that the Bible, so hang the on, Bible's. I, hang on, I'm saying the Bible's not against abortion, and I'm saying that okay, I don't think men like you okay, and me should be so, making that choice for a woman. All right, so hold on. Two thousand years ago, was abortion a practice done over in the land of Israel? Yes. What are your sources? My historians and uh, the Book of Numbers, chapter five. The Book of Numbers, chapter five. Can you uh, tell me which verse that would be? Uh, I believe it's Numbers five, um, five eleven to thirty-one, where it induces miscarriage. Uh, it, it, it's it's a it's the test of the unfaithful wife. Where if a man's wife is pregnant with another man's baby, they go to the priest, and there's this temple ritual. And if it is, uh, if she's gone astray, um, then uh, she's made herself impure, and her issue will come out of her, and her womb will miscarry, and her thigh will rot, and she will be deformed. And again, uh, the woman has no choice in the matter. Okay, so uh, essentially, what you're telling me is that within the New Testament, it's in there. With regards that's, to... That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Old, old te- Okay, fine. All right. Well, whatever. I mean, Christians believe in both the new as well as the old. Right, but so Christians follow Christ. Christians follow Christ, and this is why we don't follow all the laws of the Old Testament. It's why you can eat bacon and you can drop the homophobia, right? Yeah, I mean, homophobia was in the Old Testament, Leviticus not yeah. the New Testament. Jesus, yeah, we don't f- Jesus, never, yeah. ne- Jesus never talked about homosexuality. No, Jesus actually uses Leviticus against the Pharisees when they come after him and they say, hey, you know, your, your, your apostles are working on the Sabbath. They're violating Leviticus. And Jesus is like, well, do you, do you stone children to death when they disrespect you? Because that's commanded in Leviticus, but you don't follow it either. Yeah, good point. Yeah. John, you're one of the most articulate I do. Talk show hosts. Oh, no. That I've talked to. You're very kind. No, uh, because, no, because you actually know what you're talking about, and you don't give Democratic <laughs> Party talking points, and I respect I'm not a de- I'm, I'm not a Democrat. Uh, Republicans just forced me to vote that way, but I'm not, I've never been a Democrat. And my, <laughs> my dad was never a Democrat. The Republican Party forces me to vote for Democrats all the time, but I've never been part of the party. Look, I, I'm not saying that the Bible is pro-abortion. I'm saying that Jesus is against the death penalty, but Christ never mentions abortion. Abortion has been around for thousands of years. It will always be around. If we make it illegal in this country, it will still be around. It will 
just be unsafe and unregulated. And I don't think that men have a right to tell a woman what she can and can't do with her body. I think that's between a woman, her doctor, and God. And uh, we don't have any say in the matter. And I don't, if you want to be against abortion and criminalize it and put women in jail, you have a right to do it in this country. I'm saying we can't go saying that it's because of Jesus, because Jesus weighed in under the death penalty. He never mentioned abortion, and his religion of Judaism is not against abortion. And to this day, as you and I speak, abortions are legal in Israel, and abortions are free in Israel. So I say, (laughs) go to Jesus and his religion, what he grew up in. They don't have our same hang-ups. No, and it, it, what, what was interesting when you first took up the topic on this, that the United States and the Western Hemisphere is the only country that um, has state-issued execution, whereas the rest, you know, once we look to north of our border, south of our border, um, especially, you know, uh, in, in Latin uh, America, um, it's heavily Catholic. Yeah. And I, I, I do see something happening in this country, though, with the growing Latin American community, is that those are recently arrived immigrants, you know, yes. citizens. And what I do see a possible change in certain states, that, like Texas, is the GOP is going for them that way on that on that issue. Yeah, it is, and a lot of them. Are, are going to be against abortion. And I'm just wondering, I, I've, I've watched this topic for 40 years because I'm age 62 now. Um, what I noticed in the past with regards to basically white Christians that were anti-abortion, there was demonizing going on with regards to political talk. So I'm wondering, is that same demonizing going to happen towards Latin American uh, citizens that are, you know, now voters? Do, do you do you see that happening? You know what? You're going to have some people on the left attacking them for being anti-choice, and you're going to have people on the right saying, speak English or leave. Immigrants always get shit from all sides. You are a very fair man, and that's why I like what's I appreciate that. More importantly, more importantly, you're honest. Thank you. I appreciate oh, that, Lord. John. I'm just a charming sociopath. I wish you a very happy weekend. Rob, there's no reason why we can't get along when we have these conversations. Thank you so much. 